right. Hello, my name is Sam Safferstein, and I'm joined by Pam Levine, and this is the inaugural episode, the first episode of It's Been a Minute, um, the podcast highlighting UMass and uh, connecting generation to generation, whether you're a current student, an alumni, someone who uh, maybe has just graduated, uh, this is the podcast for you. So um, my name is Sam again. Uh, I'm a sport management and communication double major at UMass Amherst. Um, my main focus is the business of football uh, or soccer, depending on where you are in the world. Um, but I'm also, uh, I also have a concentration in the NBA uh, and college lacrosse, among other things. I'm a huge 76ers fan, an Eagles fan, uh, along with the Philadelphia Union and the MLS. Um, Philly is obviously one of the top cities in the world, obviously in the country. Um, just a beautiful place, great fans, very passionate, great teams. Um, Soccer-wise, I support Tottenham Hotspur over in England. Um, they're my main club, but I'm also a big fan of uh, Borussia Dortmund, Ajax, and FC Barcelona when it comes to you know the business side of things and the culture. Um, but let me hand it over to Pam Levine, and she can introduce herself. Sam, thanks so much. Yes, I'm excited to be here. As Sam mentioned, my name is Pam Levine. I'm as I say, a double-double, UMass grad and undergraduate alumni. And we say UMass was my first true love. So many memories there and really excited to bring this podcast to life. Sam, you talk about your Philly. I'm a Jersey girl, uh, New York Giants, Knicks fan. So as much as I appreciate Philly, Jersey's where it's at. And post-Jersey, moved to Boston and ended up here in L.A., with 25 years of consumer goods background in action sports, athletic health, wealth, health and wellness, some best in class brands, but really a big sports fan and really a big UMass fan. So honored to be here. I love It's Been a Minute, That's Our Name, talks about the minutes it's been between your generation and my generation and what connects us is our love of UMass and the Happy Valley and the impact it has on us. So we'd like to start each podcast with three key areas, our, our state of the union. Um, these three areas are the topic of the week, um, our interesting sports story, and our UMass shout out. You know, the shout out allows us to call out a student, faculty, alumni, um, anyone like that that we want to celebrate. Um, and, you know, in addition to that, we love to hear from our listeners. So um, whether you're a, a current student, you know, a, a recent graduate, an alumni from 40 years ago, we want to hear from you. Um, so we encourage you to sort of follow along and, and make your voice heard on Twitter. Um, you can follow us at, uh, it's been a min underscore. Um, you can hashtag us. It's been a min, um, or email any comments, questions, concerns, whatever you want to talk about, um, to it's been a min umass at gmail.com. Um, and yes, that is, it's been a min M I N umass at gmail.com. Uh, it's going to be a live discourse, so let's get started here. Um, so the topic of the week this week is something that really, um, you know, I, I should say it's infamous rather than famous. Um, and, and that is what's going on with the um, March Madness tournament right now, uh, specifically on the women's side of things. Um, so Pam, I don't know if, if, if you've been following, keeping up with this, but um, for lack of a better word, down. yeah, for lack of a better word, it really grinds my gears. I think... Um, you know, so for those of you who don't know, just a little background, um, the NCAA is holding their obviously, uh, yearly March Madness tournament, 
um, for men and women basketball players, student athletes, as I like to call them. Um, and I guess, you know, every year they, they have their weight training, um, on, on site for these, for the, for the teams. Uh, and this year, I, I guess there are pictures that came out of the men's, uh, lifting facilities versus the women's. The men's were obviously well outfitted, um, with any sort of rack or weight that you may need. Um, whereas the women's side of things was a simply some, um, dumbbells, and um, some yoga mats, uh, probably enough for maybe four or five people to work out. So I, I want to start off with saying on this podcast, we do like to stay, um, you know, un- as unbiased as possible. We, we like to st- try to keep it down to the facts. Um, but, you know, a lot of the time, you know, video does speak for itself. Uh, obviously, context is very important, but, you know, it, it was very clear that um, the women, uh, the women's student athletes, the female student athletes were not provided facilities even close to the men. Um, and, and sort of along those similar lines, um, you know, this is just a, a pattern of, of neglect that, you know, you would have hoped by, by 2021, we, we would, uh, see a lot less of, especially in such a, uh, on such a large stage. Um, the last thing I'll say before I throw it over to Pam is that, um, you know, on the other side of the argument for people that are arguing as to why this is okay, because uh, I know there are people out there who feel this way. Um, I, I would say I've heard the argument that, you know, there's a revenue argument um, that, oh, the men bring in more money. So they, you know, have the money to do the facilities. There's an argument. I've heard someone say that um, the NCAA actually pay uh, 10 to $15 million so that the women can compete. Um, but what I would say to that is this. Um, the NCAA can't have it both ways. Um, if they want them, if they want these people to be student athletes that are not profiting off their sports, they're doing this uh, out of a love for the game, a passion for the game, then it shouldn't matter what the profit margins are. Whether the men are bringing in $800 million or $10 million, the NCAA's position is that it doesn't matter to them. You know, these are student athletes. Everybody's, you know, this is a, an opportunity for them to play sports at a high level and get an education. So, you can't have it both ways. You can't be, it can't be hypocritical where, you know, oh, well, it is a business when it comes to providing facilities, but it isn't a business when it comes to, you know, the, the children, the, the athletes actually making money off of this. Um, and I, so I think that's a, a really tough position that the NCAA are in. Um, and it, it doesn't, it kind of eliminates the argument about revenue um, because it isn't about revenue. It's about providing student athletes with opportunities to compete at an equal level, not, not, not decided by their um, gender. So I, I think, um, Pam, I'll throw it over to you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, Sam, for our listeners, I don't think they know that these topics aren't pre-recorded. in that I don't know what you're actually going to go talking about. And I'm yeah. a huge fan that you brought this up. Of course, this is the only topic that's on my mind. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know, but in 1992, when I was at UMass, I led a lawsuit with UMass on... And I say with UMass because we brought it against UMass on Title IX. My tennis team got cut, but UMass was such an amazing partner in 1992. The athletic director, Glenn Wong, who was teaching sport law at the time, became a trusted advisor and really did the right thing and saw there was a discrepancy and handled it so professionally. And we're talking, you know, in 1992. So it's 30 years ago, and here we are today. And I don't even look at it as a discriminatory situation, I just look at it as ignorance. 
How yeah. inefficient are you to create two separate plans for the men's and women's? Who at the top is even thinking it's yeah. efficient to set up two separate gym setups, two separate testing facilities, two separate swag bags? That's just inefficiency in my eyes. So it's yeah. not only disgusting that 30 years, we're even talking 30 years later, I'm sitting here talking about this and feeling sick to my stomach that the work we did 30 years ago didn't just break it all down, but the work continues and we see that to this day. But I'm just calling out the NCAA for just bad business and bad yeah. planning. So and I'm oversight. gonna leave it at that. Yeah, lack yeah. of oversight. My, my last point would be whether it's a discriminatory issue or not, um, because obviously at, at the root of all this is, is ignorance. I. You know, for the most part, I don't think the majority of people in the NCAA hate women or, or want them to be at a disadvantage. I think it's an ignorance issue. I think it's an oversight issue. It's clearly this plan went before, you know, multiple executives, multiple people on the ground, and no one decided to say, hey, you know, not only, hey, this is probably wrong, but hey, this is a terrible look, you know, on social media for, for NCAA in general, PR, you know, separate of discrimination, like just bad right. business, like you were saying. Yeah, and Sam, I'll just leave you with this because it's closer to me. The UMass tennis team just got their title stripped. Um, okay. They won the Atlantic 10 in, I want to say it's 2016. Mm -hmm. And the 16, 17, it was the 25th anniversary of that Title IX lawsuit. And they got a strip for $250 phone bill that the students weren't even aware that they received of uh, wow. internal transfer. Yeah. And yet we're talking about $250 that wouldn't even show up on a, on a, on a men's team. They, yeah. they got their title stripped and yet the women's tennis team, 25 years of that title nine anniversary got their a 10 strip. So we'll, we'll move on, but I, I will just say that, you know, if this is still happening, as you mentioned, is not only ignorance, it's just bad business. So Sam, I think we've nailed that topic, but great start for State of the Union, and I think something we'll continue to discuss as we move forward. Into our second uh, sort of, our second topic, our second area, we're gonna do the sports story that I care about this week, which is the UMass men's lacrosse team. Um, finally, the last of, you know, the top, let's say, 25 teams in the nation, the last of them to play um, their first game after I counted one, two, three, four postponements. Um, starting from February 23rd. They finally played March 14th on Sunday against Fairfield at Garber Field. I was at the game. I was lucky enough to be PA announcing for that game um, and got to see the boys in action. Um, and yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this topic, but love the success that I'm seeing. Um, I, I love that um, because the Ivy Leagues aren't participating in, in uh, NCAA lacrosse this year for the men, there's going to be a lot more bids um, into the tournament for some of these mid-major teams, whether it's Fairfield, um, Vermont, um, those types of teams. So I'm really excited to watch college lacrosse this year. Um, I, I'm no friend of the NCAA. I'll, I'll put that out there right now. I'm not the biggest fan of the organization, and I think there are a lot of faults there. But one thing I, I really am a fan of is college lacrosse. Um, and while everybody else is on their March Madness craziness, I'm uh, watching some some crappy streams of uh, – of lacrosse, but uh, yeah, love to see the men doing well, and and hopefully uh, we're playing Drexel today actually as we're recording this podcast. Um, another really talented team, so hopefully we'll go deep in the tournament, and I'll be able to the fans will be able to get a who knows maybe even a championship out of this year. Go UMass.
Yes. There's no, there's no denying that. Go UMass. Yes. Um, all right. Lastly, I think we'll go on to our shout out. Um, for our inaugural podcast, I, I really, I felt weird giving the shout out to anybody too specific. I think, you know, this is the whole reason that Pam and I decided to do this was for the school, for our love of the school and, and, and kind of seeing the, the potential that UMass has, whether it's the alumni, the current students, the faculty. Um, and so my shout out goes out to um, the students right now going through everything, what, you know, whether it's COVID, um, a tough second semester, um, you know, you're taking those five classes or, or maybe you're taking even more and you're doing, trying to do internships and plan for the summer. And so my shout out goes out to all the students. Um, you know, it's a really, it's a tough time. So for all of you guys listening, all of you, you know, men and women out there who are, are just trying to get your education and better yourselves. Um, we see you, uh, we know, we know the work you're putting in that doesn't go unnoticed. Um, and for the alumni listening, I, I would, uh, Jeff definitely remind you of, of sort of, you know, what you felt like when you were in school, when you were an undergrad and, and, and try to imagine the shoes there and now with, with everything going on. So, um, big shout out to the students, keep doing you, um, stick with it. I think hopefully COVID stuffs will be starting to, uh, fade in the coming six months to the year and, and we can get back to, uh, you know, business as usual, but, uh, yeah, shout out to the UMass students. Anything to say on that, Pam? Yeah. Sam, I agree. I mean, it's such a great call. And for those in my age bracket and in the 40s, it's talking with friends saying, you know, really the two groups that I have so much love for is the eldest population who every year is so important. And then the students where every year is so important. And I think they just need to remember that time, you know, will prove that we all were in the same boat. But this year will have its own adventure for you and you'll have a different perspective that will make you richer. And I think again, just so much love and I, it is our alumni responsibility to stay connected and equally for the students to feel free to reach out to the alumni in a time where we're all on our computers and we have time available, yep. we will make time for you. So I love that Sam and I equally share in your thoughts. Awesome. Awesome. So now we're going to go on to our feature section of the episode. Um, our first feature, feature section, um, in an interview with Professor Emily Must. Um, yeah, here we go. Now we're going to be going into our feature section of the podcast. Um, today with our inaugural podcast, we're going to be interviewing Professor Must as our first feature. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Pam to sort of intro Professor Must and get things started. Thank you, Sam. Wow, I'm so excited for this feature section and for our first interviewee to be Emily Must. Emily, thank you for joining us. Pam and Sam, thank you for having me. <laughs> right, Pam and Sam, exactly. <laughs> um, well, Emily, I just want to take a minute to introduce everybody to you. Um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because there's so much to say Emily, you're a faculty member, Eisenberg School of Management at UMass, and it, I believe you joined the faculty in the fall of 2016 and became director of internships for sport management and joined the graduate faculty in 2018. Is that correct? Yes. And I, correct. I love how you told me you're a self-described utility player, put that in air quotes, for the sports management department. 
And it seems you teach a variety of classes from sport law to policy to leadership. And you also advise McCormick student leaders, women in sport management group and others. And I think you say utility. I like to say best kept secret. That's my name for you. I don't know. I think this secret might be out. <laughs> That's right. And if it's not, I, we are making it come out today. That's for sure. I, 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 on every teacher, I think is an unsung hero in my eyes. But Emily, seriously, when I've gotten to know you, it's been so impressive to understand the impact you're having on lives. And I've enjoyed my interaction with you. We got to know each other through a recent special event that you did, a two-day seminar on sales, and I appreciate that. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit, learn about you a little bit more of what brought you to UMass. Um, so I'd love to hear, we'd love to hear more about that. Okay. So my journey to UMass ironically started when I was in undergrad. I went to undergrad at Barry University, which is down in Miami, Florida. Um, and one of my professors, you know, advisors, got his PhD from UMass many, many years ago. Um, and ironically, was also the advisor to Dr. Janet Fink, who used to be our department chair. <laughs> and so I was introduced to Janet Fink's research as, you know, as early as my undergrad. Um, and so I was aware of UMass and the person who brought me to UMass so specifically was Steve McKilvey. I met him at a conference where we were serendipitously set up next to each other. We shared a table uh, and it was a pedagogy symposium. So we were sharing things we were doing in the classroom and I was sharing a uh, virtual simulation. I was running in a finance class at that time where we paired uh, actual fantasy play with ticket prices, trade deadlines. You know, the students got to set up a whole league and see the real financial side of things. Um, and so he thought that was really cool. Said, hey, we haven't started advertising this job yet, but it will be open. Um, you know, he gave me the date, reminded me then uh, once it was open to apply. And I certainly was, you know, UMass was at the top of everyone's list. It's the number one program in the country. And so That's right. um, I was very eager to apply and even more surprised when I got an on-campus interview. I just find UMass just brings really special people to the table. And so I think that's the case here and obviously Steve as well. And you've been now part of the program for several years and would love to hear, you know, since you joined to your journey today, what, what do you think's been your most favorite or biggest, biggest accomplishment to date? I think my biggest accomplishment is being a utility player. I'm, I'm very cross-functional. I think it's my personality. The, the best part about being on a college campus is all of the knowledge that surrounds you. I mean, it's not just in sport. It's to see how we can use the Entrepreneurship Center or Computer Information Sciences um, or being connected with the well-being initiatives um, to tie uh, all of those types of disciplines together. Um, I think not enough students or faculty think about developing range as opposed to, um, you know, being focused on just your uh, industry or discipline. And so I think that the fact that now I play a pretty important role, both in the sport management department and on our grad programs, being a core faculty member um, for the MBA, online MBA and, and MSBA programs, um, and have been leading the way in lots of consulting projects partnering our students with the Amherst Chamber of Commerce and the Business Improvement District um, has just been really nice to see how all of these things can, can tie together. So I think I'm probably most proud of that accomplishment, kind of connecting disparate 
communities together in the area. That's so great. And the sport management program, when I was there, and that's the whole point of it's been a minute. I've been a, it's been a minute since I've been at UMass, um, whereas Sam's there now. We were not part of the Eisenberg School of Management. So it's, it's now so wonderful to see that program get the recognition and really be folded under a top-notch MBA umbrella. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about how the sport management program is growing continues to be at the top of the heap of reputation and obviously for its performance, but just are you seeing that program evolve? Yes, in the past few years, um, we've definitely seen it evolve in that we've really focused on our diversity and inclusion initiatives um, and in a meaningful way, not just you know starting one scholarship or you know funding a club. We've really tried to layer in uh, diversity and inclusion into all coursework. So some seemingly simple, you know, pedagogy changes from always focusing on maybe big four professional sport to including um, different examples from other types of sports that we don't hear about as much or focusing on women's sport. Um, and to do that uh, this summer, um, I brokered a relationship with the Women's Football Alliance to get some real life projects uh, for our students, they're a league that's emerging and has caught quite a bit of uh, buzz over the past year. ESPN did a 30 for 30 for them. Um, and so, and we also had a student that played, a grad student, Lauren Young, that played on the championship Boston Renegades team. Wow. So that was pretty cool uh, to have that. And so I reached right out to, um, you know, Lisa King, their commissioner, and we started with a summer internship project. Um, mostly with undergrads, a few grad students were involved. And now that's been transitioned into the market research class for our graduate students to kind of take it to the next level. So it's, in, and we've partnered since with um, the collective from Wasserman yeah. for student projects as well. Um, and our women in business class, that's also a partnership with some of our alums, as well as our partnership uh, nationally with WISE, Women in Sport and Entertainment for a scholarship to our graduate program. Our partnership was seen for another scholarship for our graduate uh, program, um, as well as, you know, I think over the past two years, we've identified six new scholarships to help students take internships um, and subsidize the costs associated with that. So we've really been focused on improving access uh, to, our, to our program. That's great. That's great. I love all of that, Emily. It just gives the reach for the program so much more. And I love all the outreach of bringing new students that normally wouldn't get exposed to it because I think a lot of us growing up don't even know that that's an option. So it's amazing. Yeah, and I do think also to, to add on to that, that you know we study a lot that you know in sport organizations and, and companies, whether it's you know the team side of things or, or you know an agency, the more diversity that, are, that, that is in these organizations, um, the more successful they are, you know, bottom line, um, whether it's the financials, um, you know, revenue they're pulling in or their, their you know, um, relationship with the community surrounding the team. It seems that, you know, again, the, the higher the level of diversity and, and different perspectives going into that, the more successful these sport organizations are. Um, and so definitely if UMass is leading the way on that, um, it, it's, it's a good sign. Well, judging by the fact that a student just interjected that, it sounds like what we're doing is working. There you go. I love it. <laughs> making its way down to the, the intended audience. I love it. And Emily, tell me, so Sam's mentioned this changing mind, changing lives. And it just feels like a great time to ask you about that. Tell me a little bit about that program. 
Well, Sam is a great ambassador because he stepped up to be a, a peer mentor um, so that I could deliver this class. And so this class was built at UMass. It's a strengths-based resiliency program that um, Jenny Chandler in nursing um, and Jim Helling in our psychological and counseling services have put together. And it started with our student athletes, um, primarily our football team. And then they started offering it to other athletes and the NCAA has picked it up as a preferred program as well. Um, and in my, my cross-functional nature, going to meet Dr. Elizabeth Krakow, our new you know Dean of all things wellness, um, to meet with her about getting wellness programs out to our students more effectively, um, she told me about this particular program in addition to some others that I've tried in the classroom as well. Um, and it really resonated with me that for students, you know, so much of education is based on remediating deficits. And this is a strength-based program. So it's all about uncovering, leveraging your strengths uh, in the context of human connection and interaction. And so um, I planned on doing this pre-COVID uh, because I knew I'd be teaching our intro to sport class for the first time. And so I wanted to make sure uh, one of my learning goals was that the students left knowing each other um, because that's such an important piece of your, your network moving forward is that these relationships you're building now. And so I really like the idea. It's a, it's a one credit class that was offered to about 10 students a semester. And so I partnered with Ginny and, and Jim and I used my TAs and recruited some peer mentors so that we could deliver it in the virtual setting to 200 students um, and we got great great feedback on the students feeling welcomed and included um, and feeling like they actually met their classmates in addition to knowing that they have a bunch of resources at their disposal to help them um, and understanding the importance that wellness plays in being successful and so I thought it was a, a really great program I'll be using it again and um, the, the strengths-based piece of it, I utilize uh, as the internship coordinator or in my advising when students feel like they are lost and don't know what to do. I think it's a great place to start by seeing where your natural strengths are and trying to play to those as opposed to comparing yourself to other students and you know trying to remediate a bunch of deficits. It's something I wish someone told me a long time ago. I was ago. just going to say, talk about as generation to generation. Minor, yes, oh. I was just going to say, we were so counseled on actual disciplines of sports marketing and sports management and finance, but we never got the EQ training that I think separates us at the board level. We understand how important that is, the finesse of understanding yourself and your strengths, so bravo. And I think that brings me probably to my last technical question, which is talking about the students and COVID teaching in this period we know the baseline, the table stakes of how hard it is and what everyone's dealing with, but what do you think the biggest challenge the students are facing that are in school graduating and how can alumni help? Do you have any thoughts around that? I think one of the biggest challenges, while it's heightened right now during COVID, um, will still remain. And that's that the, anxi the anxiety level that I see like I don't necessarily really remember having this level of anxiety about timing, that students are constantly comparing themselves to others and thinking that they need to be at a very specific point already, even though they're in their early 20s and kind of 
Um, no matter how much I can message that it takes six to nine months in normal times to land a position, or you'll have 12 positions in your life and eight of those are gonna happen in your 20s. So just like get ready to kind of pivot and move around a little bit, um, that they always feel like they should be someplace that is further along than they are. And so that comparison, all we see is LinkedIn, or we bring in all of these great alums um, that students aspire to be like, they sometimes forget that that took them five, 10, 15 years to build to that level. So I think um, the way alums can help is reaching out, being ready to engage on a very natural level uh, and, and exposing their own weaknesses or their own struggles along the way to kind of commiserate with that time period. Say, you know, you're, you're not alone. You know, heck, I was a real estate agent for a while in my 20s. You know, you've, you've got to find yourself and figure out what you're going to do. Um, it's not just going to happen in a snap because you've graduated. Yeah, that's a great point. And I also feel the world's been on pause. So even though a student might feel they're on a treadmill, so are the rest of us. So yes. oh, we yes. are all in this together. So when we all open up, it will be that that year was a, a reflection of what may have been, but not where you're going. So yes. Yep. Well, great. Well, Emily, it's been so nice to get to know you a little bit. I think you're such a treasure and we're so lucky to have you as alumni staying, connecting all the students, but also I know Sam, I, I know I want to speak for you to say how lucky the students are to have you on a day-to-day -day basis. So, but before you go, we have a thing called the speed round. We actually, one day we'll have a sponsor naming this section, but for now as the first inaugural podcast, which is called the speed round. We have five power questions. Now, a couple of these are topics. Sam and I are very passionate sports fans and also fans of music. So we're going to start with our first question, favorite band or music artist. All right. I'm not a big, I know it's supposed to be fast, but I'll have to say who I'm listening to the most right now it's because fine. I have eclectic tastes. So I'm going to go with uh, Patrice Roberts and Leon Bridges are probably in my playlist the most wow, right now. Wow, okay, all right. Uh, favorite sports team or player? Right now I'm following Athletes Unlimited. I love what that organization is doing. They've really flipped sports on their side. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with them and give them the props they deserve. Love it. Your hero. <sighs> Mom, you know, she's the best. I, I, of course. There's not much I can say to that. Okay. No. This one is the dynamic changes every time. I'm going to go with one thing you can't live without on a daily basis. My apple. Okay. It's Been good. doing that since college. Yeah. <laughs> keeps the doctor away. Okay. It does. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> What, what type of apple? That's the real question. You know, question. I'm indiscriminate. Honey crisp is at the top. But <laughs> yes, of an course, apple, of course. Apple. As long course. as it's not mealy, I'm good. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and this is my favorite one. I don't even think Sam knew this one. If you were part of the UMass marching band, which is called the Pride of New England, I think it's still called the Pride of New England. Yeah, they're awesome. Awesome. They're my favorite. <laughs> yes. Which instrument would you play? I have to go with the saxophone. I yes. used to play the saxophone as a kid, and it's one thing that I keep saying, as soon as I have time, I'm going to get myself a saxophone and get back into, you know, my inner Lisa Simpson. And okay, so <laughs> yes. Okay, great. Well, this it's been wonderful having you. Appreciate your time. Let's stay connected, and let's have you back again. Maybe we'll do it on our 50th episode. 
You got it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank you so much, Professor Must. Thank You're you. Welcome. Well, Sam, that was great having Emily Must on. She's such a treasure for the department and for the students and the alumni. We're so proud to have her there. So it was wonderful to learn more about her. And with that, Sam, I think it brings it to the end of our inaugural podcast. So yeah. I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, it's been uh it's been very good to sort of, you know, get into it's been a minute. get into the topics. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um <laughs> glad we can sort of get this, get, catch up with everybody, talk to Professor Must, um, and, you know, put out some some great content for our listeners. So we're going to definitely close things off for today. Um, I think maybe, you know, we'll give you a key takeaway or learnings. It's just, you know, uh, Professor Must is a star. Put it out there. Um, I think, you know, she's a microcosm of the sport management program. So, I, I you know, for anybody else listening out there who, who maybe aren't, aren't as familiar with the sport management program at UMass. We are ranked very highly. I know the grad programs ranked number one in the world or close every year. Um, and so uh, it's not just her, you know, she, she's definitely leading the charge in my mind um, when it comes to the grassroots stuff, working with the undergrads, um, doing the internship, connecting with the alumni, but all the other professors, um, you know, shout out to Professor Albert, um, McKelvey, um, Katz, whoever it is, um, I know there are many others. You guys are all doing great work, um, and, and you can clearly see it in, in the performance that, you know, uh, as are all on. professors at UMass and we're, we're going to be getting to some other departments. Oh yeah. Oh yes. yeah. Yes. So as always, feel free to catch us, catch us on Twitter, um, follow up on anything you heard today. This is our first episode and we are asking for your support. We'd love for you to go on Twitter and give us a follow. If you don't have a Twitter, make an account. It's quick, it's easy, it's free. We love that. Um, look us up on it's been a min underscore. That's it's been uh, M-I-N underscore. Um, you know, the support is huge this early in the podcast. So if you can give us a follow on Twitter, um, shoot us an email with any questions or comments, any topics you might want us to talk about. Um, and just you listening is the support we need. So can't thank you all enough. Um, you know, speaking to you specifically, the listener that I know is sitting there right now. Um, just your ears are, are giving us support and uh, allowing us to do this and continue to hopefully do this. Um, so again, our email is it's been a min umass at gmail.com. Um, and don't forget, stay connected, stay well, and let's go UMass. Let's go UMass.